Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Big Mad True Crime, where we get big mad over true crime. I'm your host, Heather Ashley, and today's case is out of Grapevine, Texas. Small talk sucks, so let's dive in. On August 14, 2016, just before sunrise in Acorn Woods Park in Grapevine, Texas, two park employees noticed a small fire just off of a dirt path. According to records from Justia U.S., one of the workers grabbed a bucket of water from their truck and put it out. But that fire would be the least of their worries. Once the flames were out, the two park employees saw a melted blue kiddie pool and the remnants of a very charred, dismembered human body. According to 48 Hours, the body was so badly burned that they couldn't distinguish any identifiable factors. They couldn't even tell if this was the body of an adult or of a child. The fire department was called in, the police were called in, and the FBI were called in. This scene was so gruesome and unfathomable that the FBI was immediately called in. The charred remains were taken to the medical examiner's office, and within a day, they were able to get fingerprints from the victim and identify her. The burned and dismembered body in the melted kiddie pool found burning in the park was the body of 24-year-old Texas Women's University student Jacqueline Vandegrift, otherwise known as Jackie. They couldn't determine an immediate cause of death due to the state of her remains, but it was clear to them that this was a homicide. Now that law enforcement knew who their victim was, they needed to figure out who killed her, which meant tracking down her last known movements before she was found. How exactly they did this wasn't reported on much, but I feel like I can safely assume that it started with her bank records. Police were able to figure out that on the night of September 13th, the night before her body was found, she was at the Fry Street Public House, which is a bar about a half a mile from the University of North Texas. CBS News reports that while she was there, she talked to the bartender about possibly getting a job. They checked the security footage from that night and see Jackie talking to a bald white guy who'd been sitting at the bar for about an hour before Jackie walked in. Their body language seemed pretty comfortable. They were smiling and drinking. Jackie even seemed a little animated. At one point, the bald guy put his hand on her shoulder, and eventually you see the two wrapping things up. Jackie takes a sip out of her drink, hands it to the bald guy, and he finishes it for her. She grabs her purse, and the two walk out together. They wind up going to a second bar, Shots and Crafts, and eventually, around 9.45 p.m., they leave that bar together as well. According to Justia U.S., CCTV footage shows the two walking to the bald guy's car, getting into it, and sitting for about a half an hour before it's seen driving away. At this point, law enforcement can't tell if Jackie and this guy knew each other prior to the 13th or if they just happened to meet at the bar that night. But regardless, they needed to figure out who this guy was. Just like before, how exactly they narrowed in on their suspect isn't widely reported on, but from what I've read, it was probably either from patrons and employees at the bars they went to on the 13th, his bank records, or both. But within days, police figure out that the guy Jackie was with the night of the 13th was 30-year-old Charles Dean Bryant. 
Charles Dean Bryant had just been released from jail four days prior. You see, Bryant had a stalking problem. In June of 2016, three months prior to Jackie's murder, he'd started dating a girl named Caitlin. I call her a girl because they literally met the day after she graduated high school. He was 29 and she was 18. According to an episode of 48 Hours, they fell in love fast and hard, which seemed to be a pattern of Bryant's. And even though Caitlin was only 18, she was able to notice the red flags popping up like whack-a-moles. He was constantly in need of attention and would essentially make her feel like if this wasn't it, there was nothing better out there for her. She wound up breaking things off with him more than once, but he'd always find a creepy way to weasel his way back in. And mind you, their relationship lasted a whole three months, so you can only imagine the toxicity involved when the teenager in the situation is breaking things off with the adult multiple times in that short period of time. 18-year-old Caitlin was wise beyond her years. On August 31st, 2016, Caitlin and Bryant broke things off one final time. She was about to head off to college at the University of North Texas. She was going to be moving. He wouldn't know where she lived, and therefore he couldn't weasel his way back into her life again. She blocked him from all social media and made a clean break. Or so she thought. Caitlin was free of Bryant for one whole day before his stalker ass showed up at her dorm room door. She certainly hadn't told him where she was living or which dorm room was hers, but there he was. She told 48 Hours that when she asked him how he found her, he told her that her name was on the door. There was a 30-year-old man roaming the halls of the women's dorms, reading the names on the door, looking for his 18-year-old ex-girlfriend. This is every mom's nightmare. Bryant was there trying to win her back, and Caitlin wasn't having it. The Dallas Star-Telegram reports that she told him to leave and not come back, and then filed a harassment report with the campus police. And the campus police did not play around. By the next day, they'd issued a criminal trespassing warrant against him and barred him from stepping foot on the campus at all. Unfortunately, that didn't stop him from finding her elsewhere. Just five days later, Caitlin tells 48 Hours that Bryant strolled into the restaurant she'd just gotten a job at, ordered a drink at the bar, and asked to be seated in her section. As it turns out, he'd also been there the day before asking about her. According to the Dallas Star-Telegram, she told him to leave and that she didn't want to see or speak to him again and called the police. The campus police officer that took her harassment report and got that trespassing warrant decided to give Bryant a call himself, and he let him know that if he contacted Caitlin again, he was going to be criminally charged. But stalkers don't give a shit about warrants or phone calls, and true to his nature, Bryant was back at Caitlin's dorm room door by September 6th. She saw him through the peephole and told 48 Hours that she was so scared she hid in her roommate's closet and called the police. While she was on the phone with police, Bryant was yelling through the door that he had something for her. Campus police rushed to her room, but by the time they got there, he was gone— but he hadn't gone very far. CBS News posted a photo of him being arrested on the UNT campus later that same day. 
He was shirtless, wearing an armband for his phone and looked like he'd been jogging around campus. And as he was being led away by police, he was smiling. Bryant was taken to jail on a criminal trespassing charge, but bonded out the same day. Naturally, he took to his Twitter to post a photo of some flowers and wrote, Pretty flowers though, right? So much for being a nice guy. Take a second to think about the state of mind this shit clown had to be in at this very moment. He'd tracked down his teenage ex-girlfriend's dorm room, she'd told him to leave her alone, and then was barred from the campus, so he tracked her down to her new job two days in a row and was told to leave her alone again. He was told by a campus police officer that if he contacted Caitlin again, he'd be charged, and he still went back onto that campus he was banned from and went back to her dorm room he'd initially stalked her to and had just been arrested for contacting her yet again. And here he was tweeting about how he was just a nice guy trying to bring a girl flowers. Dude was Charlie Sheen 2011 Tiger Blood Delusional. The day after he bonded out for trespassing, UNT got a stalking warrant for Bryant and he was arrested again. And this time, instead of a $500 bond, he got a $5,000 bond, which required a little more time to get the money together and gave Caitlin a little more time to get the emergency protective order she was given. Bryant bonded out on September 9th, and by September 10th, he was posting creepy cryptic messages to his Facebook like this one. Unrequited love kills more people than cancer every year, and in matters of the heart, people do foolish things. I'm not shallow or seduced by cheap glamour. I value substance and character. What is age? What is time? Nothing means anything if you're actually in love. Sleepless nights and distractive days, I speak of platitudes. When it's right, you just know. Trials are inevitable, but love, well, it can conquer all. Bryant gave no shit about whether Caitlyn was in love with him. The only thing that mattered was that he was in love with her. No is a full sentence. A sentence that Bryant didn't understand. And just four days later, Jackie Vandegrift, the girl who met him at a bar just a half a mile away from Caitlyn's dorm room, was found dead, dismembered, and burning in a kiddie pool in the park. And someone had her phone. Because at 8.22 p.m., more than 24 hours after her body was found, a tweet was sent out from her account that said, never knew I could feel like this. At this point, it was time to start looking into both Jackie and Bryant's phone records. And with that, all the pieces started coming together. According to Justia U.S., both of them had spent about an hour together at a park after leaving the bars. Next, they were seen on CCTV footage at a 7-Eleven, and then her phone starts pinging off of a tower that covers Bryant's house. The last ping from her phone came in at 1.32 a.m. on the 14th off of that same tower. While police were looking into Bryant for his involvement in Jackie's murder, the Dallas Star-Telegram reports that this psycho just couldn't stop himself from emailing his ex, Caitlin, again. And while that's horrifying for her, it meant that the police could at the very least arrest him for that while they got a warrant for his house. And get a warrant they did.
On September 18, 2016, police executed a search warrant on Bryant's house, and what they found erased any doubt in their mind that this was their guy. In his backyard, they found a blue kiddie pool that matched the same one they found melted underneath Jackie's body. And you might be thinking, well, if it's in his backyard, it couldn't be the one they found her in, and you'd be right. However, just a little further away from that kiddie pool was a dead patch of grass the same size and the same shape. The Dallas Morning News reports that both Caitlin and Bryant's roommate said that there used to be two kiddie pools in the backyard. Justia U.S. reports that there was also a burn mark in the backyard, along with what looked like a human bone fragment in it, according to the Dallas Morning News. There was also evidence that someone had tried to dig a hole in the backyard, and wouldn't you know, Bryant had purchased a shovel from a Walmart at 4.41 a.m. the morning of the 14th. I feel like buying a shovel before 5 a.m. should put you on some kind of list. But getting back to the search warrant, the backyard was just a fraction of what the police found that day. They also found multiple guns, a giant knife, a bottle of lighter fluid, and two shovels in the house. In the trash, they found Jackie's purse and a zip tie that had hair on it. In his car, Justia U.S. reports that they found a stun gun. If all of that wasn't enough, Bryant's Facebook posts after Jackie was murdered were almost equally disturbing. On September 16th, just one day after someone, cough, cough, posted from Jackie's Twitter account, Bryant posted the following to his Facebook. Foolish thoughts, he said to himself, trying to hide the pain and embracing another half-heartedly. Embracing another half-heartedly? He was still obsessing over Caitlin after possibly murdering and dismembering Jackie and burning her body in the woods and was posting about embracing another half-heartedly. He also posted the song Shut Up, Kiss Me, Hold Me Tight by Angel Olsen. Here are some of the lyrics. Stop pretending like I'm not there when it's clear I'm not going anywhere. If I'm out of sight, take another look around. I'm still out there hoping to be found. We could still be having some sweet memories. This heart still beats for you. Why can't you see? Stop your crying. It's all right. Shut up, kiss me, hold me tight. And while that song might not have been written to sound creepy, being posted by Bryant, it was. Needless to say, Bryant was quickly arrested and charged with the capital murder of Jackie Vandegriff and was given a $1 million bond. This time, he wasn't going to be able to afford to get out. His ex-girlfriend, Caitlin, was obviously mortified and went on Facebook to try and learn a little more about the woman her stalker ex-boyfriend had just been charged with brutally murdering and dismembering. And when she did, she realized that she was already Facebook friends with Jackie. A friend request that she told 48 Hours had been sent after Jackie had been killed. Following one of the most senseless and gruesome murders I've ever researched, this guy tweeted from his victim's Twitter account and then used her Facebook account to friend request his ex-girlfriend who had blocked him on social media. At this point, everyone was wondering if this was all about his obsession with his ex-girlfriend. 
Was Jackie the victim of what he wanted to do to Caitlin? He was certainly using Jackie after killing her to continue stalking his ex. While the investigation continued and law enforcement built their case against Bryant, a fundraiser was put together to help cover Jackie's funeral expenses, and according to the Dallas Morning Star, what was left over was put towards a scholarship in Jackie's name at Texas Women's University. On September 28th, the Dallas Morning News reported that the judge presiding over the case requested a mental evaluation of Bryant, saying that there was reasonable cause to believe he was suffering from a mental illness and may be unfit to stand trial. Sure, you'd have to be batshit bananas to do what he did, but that doesn't mean you get out of jail free. Bryant was found fit to stand trial, and frankly, the fact that he dismembered her and tried to bury her and then decided to burn her remains more than 20 miles away from his house is proof enough that this asshole was well aware that what he was doing was wrong. On December 6th, Bryant was officially indicted on what the Dallas Star-Telegram reports is a six-count indictment that accused him of causing serious bodily injury to Jacqueline Vandegrift using a zip tie, a knife or machete, and an unknown object. And as most of you know, after an arrest, you usually see a lull in reporting until the trial, but the fucked-up world of Charles Dean Bryant is far from usual, and on September 24th of 2017, a little over a year after he was charged with killing Jackie, he's indicted again. But this time, it's on 10 counts of possession of child pornography. The Fort Worth Star-Telegram reported that they were found on his phone during the investigation into Jackie. Not only was this guy a stalker and an accused murderer, he was also in possession of child pornography. I don't know if you could design a more grotesque human being if you tried. He is why women are afraid to walk alone. He is what nightmares are made of. Charles Dean Bryant is what goes bump in the night. Six months go by with little to no news until the DA submits a notice of intent to introduce evidence. I was able to find a copy of it online, and everything I thought was horrific about this case was just the tip of the iceberg. In this notice of intent document, they note that Bryant exposed his sexual organ to a woman after Jackie was killed, and that he tried to have sex with this woman while she was passed out. They also detail Jackie's dismemberment and fair warning, it's every word worse than mortifying. He removed both of her arms, both of her legs, her head, opened her chest, and cut out her heart. Charles Dean Bryant, in the process of dismembering Jackie Vandegriff, decided to cut her heart out. And knowing this made all of his Facebook posts after killing her seem even more sinister. Embracing another half-heartedly, and the song lyrics, This Heart Still Beats For You. What Bryant did to Jackie went beyond dismemberment to conceal evidence or make a body easier to transport, like you saw in the Suitcases in the Road episode, the Destiny Avery episode, or the Grace Mullane episode. This was symbolic. 
Bryant's trial began on April 9, 2018, and according to a document on Justia U.S., his defense was that he and Jackie engaged in kinky sex and that she died in the process. His claim was that while they were having sex, she had a zip tie around her neck, it had tightened, and she died. His defense argued that he wasn't guilty of killing Jackie, just tampering with evidence. Which blew my mind because if they're trying to say he should only be charged with what happened after she died, in the state of Texas, that would be abuse of a corpse. Jackie's body wasn't simply evidence. She was a human being. None of his bullshit about kinky sex mattered anyway because according to 48 Hours, there was no evidence that Jackie had been sexually assaulted. And frankly, at no point in time, while dismembering someone because you're freaking out that the woman you were having sex with died, do you open her chest and cut out her heart. During the trial, we learned about all of the injuries to Jackie's body that we didn't know about before. We knew she'd been dismembered and that she died from homicidal violence, but what we didn't know was that, according to Justia U.S., she had also been stabbed multiple times prior to her death, had fractured ribs not consistent with her dismemberment, and her hyoid bone was broken. All of you crime experts know that a broken hyoid bone is usually a telltale sign of asphyxiation. And according to the investigation and prosecution of strangulation cases by William Green, M.D., the hyoid bone requires 33 to 45 pounds of pressure to break. The Denton Record Chronicle also reported that she had a brain injury from a stroke that couldn't have come from her hitting her head or from sex. And according to the International Journal of Clinical and Experimental Medicine, hemodynamic strokes can come as a result of asphyxiation. The document on Justia U.S. also detailed the DNA evidence presented. That zip tie found in the trash at Bryant's house and the stun gun found in the center console of his vehicle both tested positive for DNA that, quote-unquote, is almost statistically impossible that it was anyone else's DNA, meaning Jackie's. DNA was also found on the knife recovered from his room, and Jackie couldn't be excluded as a contributor. After a week-long trial, the jury deliberated for less time than it would take you to watch Titanic and found him guilty as a son of a bitch. Charles Dean Bryant was sentenced to life in prison, and I use that term loosely. He was also given an additional 20 years for tampering with actual evidence, like throwing evidence in the trash and burning her body to try and destroy any evidence left behind. He tried to appeal his conviction and failed miserably. Bryant will be eligible for parole in 2046. He'll be 59 years old. According to the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence, one in six women in the U.S. have been stalked, and state laws don't always protect stalking victims. In Caitlin's case, that campus police officer stopped at nothing to protect her. But what about his future victims? What about Jackie? He was obsessive, relentless, and sociopathic, and was a ticking time bomb. 
Jackie Vandergriff was just having a night out and looking at new job prospects when she met a guy she never could have known was a delusional stalker on the verge of homicide. Her friends and family have to live with the memories they made while she was here and grieve every milestone she'll never have because they were stolen not only from her, but from everyone else who ever loved her. For all photos and maps pertaining to this case, check out Jackie's highlight at the top of my Instagram profile at the Heather Ashley, and join me there tonight at 9 p.m. Eastern, where you go live with me and we talk about her case. If you like your podcast ad-free, head over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash bigmadtruecrime, where for just one whole dollar a month, your episodes are totally ad-free. If you need more episodes in your life for just $5 a month, you get a bonus episode on the first Monday of every month. All your episodes are ad-free, and you'll also receive a forever discount code for all Big Mad True Crime merch. And of course, anytime you sign up, you get instant access to all previous bonus episodes. I'll be bringing you a brand new case a week from today, and I cannot wait. But until then, we out.